Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 191 recorded January 24th, 2015. 191, that's an impressive sounding number. 191, it sounds like the proof on a fine scotch. A really powerful scotch. That's what I was thinking. What were you thinking? Is that what you're partaking in this morning? Uh, no. Just coffee and peanut butter Cheerios. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, it sounds delish. <laughs> Breakfast of champions. It's almost as good as little chocolate donuts. Almost. Almost. How'd you know what my kids were eating? <sighs> Actually, it was a uh, reference to an old Saturday Night Live routine with John Belushi, but I'm happy that I happened to get your uh, kids' menu for the morning. Yeah. Anyways, we're here to talk about Star Trek Perchance to Dream. Ah, yes. An interesting Wildstorm, a new publisher for us to be reviewing. Right. So uh, we finished off uh, Marvel, DC. Now, uh, at this point, Wildstorm had actually just converted over to an imprint of DC. They had just uh, been sold. So technically, these are DC comics again. Ah, okay. But, but under the Wildstorm umbrella. Hmm. And of course, these are, they're all next gen? Or did they also do some oh, other? Oh, no, they had them all. They had them all, okay. Mm-hmm. This particular one is next gen. This one is, yes. Quite interesting. So uh, I had a hard time at the beginning just just to kind of get into it, uh, figuring out where in the timeline that this story took place. Right. The best I can come up with is after All Good Things and before Generations. Right, because you do see a mix of uniforms, both new, more of the Voyager style, and the old traditional ones from Season 2 on with Next Gen. Yes, that was my clue. Yep. But uh, I'm meant to go back and watch Generations, uh, or at least look at it. Mm-hmm. Is there a mixture of uh, uniforms on there? Because it seems odd that yes. Jordy and Worf are still wearing the old ones and everybody else is wearing the new ones. I think it was towards the end of Generations you saw at least Riker in the new uniform. And I'm not sure who else had it on, but at least towards the end Riker did. Okay. Well, I remember everybody having it. That, um, that's what I'm saying. Oh, really? I don't, rem- I don't okay. remember anybody wearing the old one. Because uh, I know Riker, okay. I know Picard's wearing it when he's fighting Soren and with Kirk and stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of them were wearing the old uniform in that in that movie. But uh, there is a, the main thing is there's a mixture. So that's what told me right away. There's a mixture in the comic. This must be supposed to be in you know, roughly next gen generations. The movie time. And since the Enterprise D is not destroyed, it has to be before. That, that, that's another clue. Although, wait a minute. It might be destroyed in this comic. We'll have to find out. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, you want to just jump into it and find out? Let's do that. Okay, so this is a four-parter, and we're doing one through three today, and I get to do the first one, which is Perchance to Dream, Chapter 1. Published date, February 2008. Creative team... Keith 
R.A. DeCandido writer, penciler Peter Pachomis, inks Lucian Rizzo, colors by Wildstorm FX, letters by Ryan Klein, editor Jeff Marriott. And I gotta say, it's very interesting having a whole new set of creative people to be mentioning in the credits. We had mostly a very similar set of people for the past uh, forever with Marvel, so kind of interesting having new people. And new last names to uh, pronounce, yeah. The cover is set in Enterprise D Engineering, with Geordi complete with Visor moving quickly across his domain. Worf's upper torso is in the lower right. Data's head is looking to the right and partially facing the reader. The story opens with Data making his way through empty corridors of the Enterprise D. He introduces himself in sort of a voiceover mode with unmoving lips. He states he is presently second officer of the USS Enterprise D. So far, he cannot find anyone on the ship, which is odd considering that on average there are 1,008.765 people aboard. The ship is at red alert, but he does not know why. He decides to move to engineering where he hopes to find answers. He is apprehensive about going to engineering, which is odd since he is an android and he has no emotions. He enters engineering and sees and hears for the first time people. Geordi and Barkley, and there are others. They ignore his presence as if they cannot see him. Instruments say they are traveling at half-impulse power, and no other ship is in the vicinity. Yet, why the red alert? Then Data looks up and sees Geordi and the rest on the floor motionless. He does not understand. He's frightened. The ship... The computer warns him the ship is entering the atmosphere of a planet that it is heading for. The ship will go up in a ball of fire unless he does something about it. Controls are not responding. The computer is not heeding his commands. He is frightened. The ship and he along with it will cease to be any second. He can't breathe. Someone help me, please. Help me. Help me. Nacelles are flying. The saucer section is cracking open like an egg. Data's dream program ends and he awakens to a normal waking state. Data contemplates his emotion chip. Data has a conversation with Geordi concerning the dream. Geordi says it's a pretty typical anxiety dream, but is concerned when Data states he felt emotions, fear, and anxiety. Data recounts the other times when he felt emotions of joy and laughter due to cue and other external forces, but he has never felt fear anxiety before. Geordi suggests he talks to Deanna. Captain Picard calls a meeting of his senior staff to discuss their upcoming visit to Diamano, where he wants his officers to attend the inauguration ceremony and festivities. Picard is making a big deal about this since the governor-elect, Rach, is the first Diamani to serve on the Federation Council. Picard asks Worf to take an active role in security for the inauguration. Data briefs everyone on the three-gender nature of the Diamani people. For ease of communication, he, she, and it pronouns can be used, but none of them are a direct match to the more common male and female genders seen on most other worlds. Troy explains that most Diamani couplings also include three members. Until recently, any other type of coupling, including two members, was considered perverse. 
data reports that there are still more or less factions that hold those attitudes. It was recently revealed that Governor Rach had only one partner, which stirred up an uproar in the more or less circles, while the majority of the Diamano people appear indifferent to her preferences. There have been death threats to the governor. So Worf is to coordinate with the city's police chief and ensure security is as tight as practical. Dismissed. As the others file out, Data asks to speak to the counselor. He tells her about the dream and what it might mean. He expresses concerns over the effects of the emotion chip he retrieved from Lore. He is afraid it may have side effects that could be dangerous. He speaks of his own experience at the Academy, and more recently on the Sutherland, when he was ignored or his input at least being discounted because he is not human. Troy reassures him his concerns are likely unfounded and asks Data to make an appointment after their mission to Diamano so they can spend more time together and address his concerns. On Aaron, the capital city of Diamano, a gathering of people very unhappy with planetary governor-elect Rach's perversions are making plans. The leader of them, named Jitran, rallies the others to pledge to assassinate the deviant Rash before she becomes governor. All are smiling and pumped with emotion, except for one named Hart, whose body language indicates he is not on board. Riker has a word with Worf, considering how to accomplish his mission without stepping on too many toes. Worf points out he may not have a choice since Governor Rash stated she does not fully trust her own police force. Moralists in small numbers are likely on the police force and may even be close to Chief Durr. Worf says he may actually have to step on more toes than normal to accomplish his mission. Riker accepts Worf's analysis on the situation and wishes him well. Scene cuts to the office of Governor-elect Rash as her chief of police, Durr, starts out being furious over having to deal with some military nutcases who will ruin his security measures. Rash reminds him that this is Starfleet and not military nutcases. If they can deal with Romulans and Borg on a regular basis, they can help with their inauguration security preparations. Durr settles down, and by the end of the conversation, says he will go and meet with the Starfleet people. After Durr is gone, the governor's mate comes into the room. His name is Maya. They discuss how the retired governor, Ashka, has not given her more support since the news broke. In an open court area, Rash, Durr, and their entourage meet Captain Picard, Commander Riker, and Lieutenant Worf, who beam down near them. Introductions are made. Worf goes off with Jur while Picard and Riker go with the governor-elect. Worf inspects the huge stadium where the inauguration will be held. Durr assures Worf his tricorder scans will find nothing. They just did a sensor sweep of the area an hour ago. Worf's tricorder picks up a very hard-to-detect explosive device. They find a device, but in disarming it, tripped a self-destruct mechanism. Apart from Worf's tricorder readings, there is no proof of the planted bomb. The assassination conspirators discover the explosive device was found and disarmed when the signal it emits was terminated. They have to fall back to a more direct approach. They will use Coot and his people to enter the stadium carrying weapons 
through a particular checkpoint manned by another conspirator. They will likely be killed seconds after the deed is done, but at least the pervert will be dead. Hart is assured this plan B will work, but he expresses his mounting doubts that they can pull this off. Later on Inauguration Day, people are entering the stadium in droves. Starfleet security personnel are partnered up with the security police at most entrances with tricorders and their own scanning equipment looking for weapons on entering citizens. The armed assassin is in line to enter but signals his masters that Starfleet security is at his checkpoint. He says he will have to abort but is, ca- but is caught before he can withdraw. The frustrated ringleader says they will go with the sniper. Hart objects, saying the sniper was just supposed to lay down cover fire, not attempt a shot. Worf reports to the governor-elect in Picard that the stadium is full and the only entering Diamani that had weapons are in custody. Thinking it is safe to proceed, governor-elect Rosh takes the podium. Overlooking the scene is an assassin in a tree that is taking a bead on the governor-elect, promising that he will make his shot and that sicko will be a pile of ashes. To be continued. He's in a tree. Yeah. Is that something? Yep. So how did he get to the tree? With a rifle. It's not inside the courtyard, I guess? I I guess not. Which is really quite amazing. I think I agree with what you're getting at. Right. That tree should be very far away. Right. You know, I understand they have great scopes and stuff in the future, and they could potentially make the shot, but right. the visual there in that panel, he, he looks like he's just, like, right over their heads. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's a tree in the courtyard somewhere behind, like, the grandstands or wh- wherever people are sitting. Right. Yeah. Doesn't look right. But uh, but aside from that, uh, I mean, what did you think of the overall story? Um, I thought it was... I thought it was fine. I do think the idea of introducing a people with something other than two genders to be quite interesting. Um, sure. Because, I mean, my mind just isn't wired that way. And I was thinking, well, how are they going to do this? So you have he, she, it's. So how does the it work anyway? And how are the he's a little different than what we're used to? And how are the she's a little different than what we're used to? I think the author and the people drawing had a challenge here on exactly how they wanted these trigenders to work. So that part of it was kind of interesting. Right. And they don't even show, I mean, it's not even clear which gender, which, which person is which gender, right? So, I mean, it, we get no idea of well, who's what, who's he, she, or it. Well, sometimes they address each other by the pronouns. Like, there's multiple times when one Diamani called another Diamani it that I noticed. Right. So, okay, so obviously that's an it. So a lot of security people that they mention anyway are many, and many times referred to as its. Now, I called the governor-elect, Rosh, she because she looks like a she. But these well, aliens they, do they look kind of weird. She. Okay, they, so they call her a she too. Okay, right. so, okay so there are instances. Cause she looks feminine. Um, In the face. In the face. Yeah, right, in the face. Yeah, But it, to some degree, isn't that like, like what she's wearing? Because isn't she like wearing kind of a jumpsuit or something that kind of looks manly? I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's really hard because 
I thought that the pronouns were all interchangeable. You could call them, you could call any of them he, she, or it, and they would oh. not take offense. That, that's the way I took it, and I did not go back and cross-reference every reference to each person by the right. pronoun that they used. Right. But uh, when I was reading it, I was just thinking that it was interchangeable. And, and the reason why we were getting it is because you know they were translating it from from whatever their native language is for us for our benefit. <laughs> oh, okay. But but anyways, um, but as far as the artist goes. Uh, Man, it it was so. She has a feminine face with a like a you know like a teenager looking body. You know, it's this gangly, masculine yeah. looking body a little yeah, bit. Yeah, not very curvy at all. Right, yeah. and then the uh, chief of police. You know, he's in the face. He's very brawny and looks masculine. Yet he's very handsome <laughs> and feminine looking. <laughs> I agree. I mean, the guy looks like a weightlifter, but. The pecs, it looks, the pecs look phenomenally huge, the, big enough to be breasts. Well, they are breasts. What, well, did, did you see it without a shirt on or no, whatever? Not, but I, I know, but you're right. So they appear to be, it appears to be a Russian female weightlifter <laughs> it's with big, huge uh, hooters. Right. But but yeah, so I don't know. It's just weird because you and then her boyfriend, whatever he is, I think he looked like he had a feminine body, but with a beard and mustache. Right. So it's just man, they just it's hard to figure out who's what and yeah, it's like yeah. But some people look like at least in the face, like uh, clearly a guy. Sure. I think the the chief of police. Well, yeah, I think the villain uh, looks like a pretty traditional man's face. Right. But, yeah, the bodies look kind of weird. But, hey, that's what they wanted, right? So I guess they achieved what they wanted, which is basically confusion on our part. <laughs> anyway. Right. But even the leader, I think he has breasts too, doesn't he? Does he? Uh, I don't remember that, but I kind of uh, forgot. <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway. I was having a hard time figuring out the genders. And, uh, you know, I don't want to sound specious, but they kind of all look alike. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, their, so their faces and eyes and 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 hair and facial hair, they, they all very similar. So I had a really hard time figuring out who was what. Okay, well, how about the number of horns telling you something? I tried to use that as a uh, reference point, but then there's still, you know, she has three horns. Right. So she has one. Th- a third one comes out of her forehead, which is really kind of weird. But there's other people that have the same thing. So, uh, well, yeah, of course, but that might be. I'm just offering that as a possible gender thing, maybe. Because the chief of police only has two horns on the side. Okay. And, um, then, yeah. and then some people just have the horn coming out of the front. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. maybe that's our thing. So some people have three horns. Some people have two horns on the side. And then some people... Right, I see what you mean. So I'm seeing a group shot when they uh, met Picard and Worf and company. And I did not notice that before. There, everybody has a mixture. That's probably the gender indicator. Mm, maybe. Well, there's a theory. As we continue on, we'll see if yeah. all the female-looking ones, I mean truly female-looking ones, heavily female-looking ones, have the three horns. The ones most like a normal male has one in the front, and then the its have horns on the side. I don't know. So the chief of police and her boyfriend are its, because they have the horns on the side and... Masculine faces and feminine 
bodies. Okay, so maybe the horns on the side are... No, I'm pretty sure the chief of police is in it, though. Well, whatever, let's move on. <laughs> the main point is, it's confusing genders, and I think that's a good thing, because that's what they're trying to get across. I mean, the, the crew is having to deal with this, too. So we're kind of dealing with it along with them. Right. So that's good. But I do think there is some consistency that the artist has put in here. Which was another part of my problem. The consistency in that they all kind of looked alike. That, that's well, basically what I was getting at. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they all have the spiky hair. They've all got, I mean, I think all of them have that, like, clothing. Is that clothing or is that, like, a headset kind of thing where it's all blue? Or is that really it's their clothing. skin? Okay, good. Cause it, because we'll see in uh, a later issue that uh, they don't always wear it. Okay, fine. And what else? Um, obviously, this is supposed to be a, should I call it a morality tale? Or let's just call it a lesson in... Personal preferences? Well, tolerance, pers- tolerance that's it. Right. Tolerance. Obviously, what they're trying to get across is tolerance towards people that may not be the traditional mold. Right. So, there you go. There, There's your Roddenberry-style morality play of the day. Right, which I like. I like I like the way they're doing it here more so than that random issue of Starfleet Academy where we found out that Hoshi's gay yeah. and yeah. They really hit you uh, the reptilian woman didn't want to have anything to do with him because how dare he be gay. That, yeah, okay. That, that was pretty extreme. Although, they're subtle enough in this except for one thing. The main bad guy is basically Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> I mean, he he really is. So he's some kind of a a show person who speaks out with a strong opinion and seems to be traditional and very self righteous. And um, you know, this is the way things should be. Um, right. And that and what I got almost immediately from that was Rush Limbaugh or or somebody who's on extreme side of either side. Right. Yeah, uh, that has a show, right? So. And I did like, I, I do like that kind of idea that, you know, if if somebody, if somebody that's a talking head type character in the real world was really evil, that you know, they do have a lot of power. You know, they they could yeah. persuade a lot of people into thinking to go to the extreme that all his followers are doing, right? You know, and she even points it out. I can't remember which issue, but. You know, a lot of people think that he was the one that got the previous governor overthrown, even though police were investigating him for years before the celebrity started speaking out against him. But public opinion is is that he's the one that uncovered all this bad stuff and, and got him dethroned. Right. So I, I do I do like that part of the story. Yeah. So back to the three gender thing. I did want to make a comment that the three gender thing was was used once before in Alien Nation, the TV series. Oh, if, okay. I if you remember that. that uh, I remember the TV series. I just didn't remember the three gender thing. Okay. Right. So married-wise, there's usually you know the traditional female and the traditional male get married. And then there was a third gender, which was uh, kind of like a uh, – almost like a – they were like a priest-type character. And they would actually when, – when it came time to conceive, they would actually like uh, help. <laughs> <laughs> what, with coaching? I mean, what? Did they, ever say, uh, did they ever say? No, it show it showed it. So, uh, hmm. so they would uh, clear the channel for the uh, for the male character to uh, do his part. Uh, okay, I don't want any more details. But go ahead. 
But but anyways, I just I always thought that was interesting. Like what you were saying earlier, I liked the idea that not all species in the universe have to be classified as male and female, right. and that you know I thought they did it really well in Alienation, and how some people, even in that show, were thinking that you know the humans just could not wrap their heads around this third gender, and to the point where even some of the third gender characters were like. You know, maybe I shouldn't be a third gender because you know it's it's wrong here on this planet. Even though they were required for, you know, uh, conception right. in their species, but right. but how just even you know just the public opinion of the planet you're living on may change your, you know, core beliefs. Hmm. Interesting. It was a good show. It, it was a lot like Star Trek, where they tried to take real life topic and put a sci fi twist on it to kind right. of make you reexamine your own thoughts and beliefs. It's good yeah, stuff. I, I remember that show. Uh, although I don't remember it apparently as well as I should, but I, I remember enjoying it quite a bit. I thought the actors were quite good also. Right. The leads. Which most of them have gone on to do some Star Trek stuff. The policeman, definitely. He has played a, a Vulcan. What else has he played? He played an Ocampa in Star Trek. An Boy- Ocampa? Okay, cool. Uh, his name is uh, Gary... Ah, man, I forgot his name. Anyways, his name's Matt Sykes on the show. Matt Sykes. Okay, that's right. That's the character's name. But I can't remember his 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 his, his real name. Bad on me. Oh. But uh, the other actor, the alien one, he was the head of Section 31 in Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, the head of it? Okay. Uh, okay yeah, because cool. he was the one that was recruiting Malcolm. Okay. And then uh, the wife of the alien was uh, Data's girlfriend in Star Trek The Next Generation. In that one episode? Yep. Oh, well, she's a cute little thing. Sure. Yeah. She's not always bald with spots. Go figure. <laughs> Boy, that makeup call must have been tough on that show. Oh, yeah. At least for the alien people. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, back to this issue. Um, the dream at the beginning. Yes. Data's dream. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm reading this first issue. I'm like... This whole series is called Perchance the Dream because of those first, you know, five pages. Yeah, I, I thought I was, it was really I, struggling to find out why why the dream thing was part of the title. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, this whole thing is going to be centered around android dreaming. How are they going to stretch this out? And then, of course, quickly found out it was not all about Data's dreaming only. Right. But and they keep bringing it up. His dream. His dream. He had a dream. Yeah. Um. And I'm like, we, they already did that episode of Next Generation where his dream was how they fixed everything was because of the way he interpreted his dream. You know, there was that, I forgot the name of the episode, but, you know, the one where uh, Data was dreaming and those people were, like, chipping away at, this, at the bulkheads and things like that. Do you remember that episode? Uh, not well, no. I'm uh, embarrassed. It's, it's a good one. Hmm. Well, okay, okay. So there, w- there was an episode that tread over this territory now, or well, in the past. It's it's what I'm fearing is going to be a retread of this territory. I mean, okay, he had a dream, and that his dream ended up being his subconscious telling him how to fix whatever situation that they were experiencing that he wasn't aware of. Ah, because there was like these aliens that were out of you know they were somehow not in line with our reality, but they were still feeding off of the ship and they were feeding off of the uh, crew. Now that wasn't and, that wasn't the one where they were abducting Riker. That's a different one. It's a different one. Okay, okay. This one, the aliens were just, like, latched on to the people. And they were, like, drinking their brain juices and things like that. Ah! And, the, and and Troy was a cake. Do you remember that one? I remember that one. Yeah, it's that one. And Troy was a cake. 
Okay. So, anyways, I'm here reading these first five pages going, is this going to be just a retread of that? Hopefully not. So, mm-hmm. we'll see if I was justified in my worry. Yes. And when we get to the later issues, where we find out more about what's going on, I just want to remind you right here and now that they have not gotten to the planet yet. So they're not at Diamano yet, or whatever the heck the name is. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not there yet. They're still like an hour out. Interesting point, Ken. Hmm, just remember that for later. <laughs> and the shot of the Enterprise blowing up was really cool, I thought. That was very cool. And I must say... Especially in Next Gen, there are so many situations, so many episodes that they've been able to show the Enterprise blowing up for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just amazing. I just want to, I just want to make that comment. But this particular one is is very nice. The the drawing is very nice. Two page spread, and nacelles flying, and uh, pretty cool. Right. Now I'll also say though that I'm not that crazy about the artwork in this comic overall. Especially at the very beginning when we first see Data walking around in the dream. I'm just not crazy about the art. Uh, Mm. I think it looks a bit simplistic. And is certainly not of the quality. At least I call it quality. Maybe you'd call it something else. I don't think this is of the quality of what I was used to seeing uh, from Marvel in those uh, those last issues. Right. Well, it's it's a different style. It's a different style. No two ways about that. And I just think it wasn't as good. I didn't think the art was bad. Um, it's a different style. Uh, my only complaint about the art was I was really having a hard time figuring out which alien was which because mm. they all kind of looked the same. But I see what you're saying. It, it They're not quite as defined as, as maybe they were. I, I think there was more detail in general in the Marvel stuff. Right. Well, I can see that argument. Yeah. Personal preference. And that's all I have to say about this one. All right. Well, then let's move over to the next. Um, oh, yeah. By the way, that one was entitled, uh, it actually had a title called To Take Arms Against a Sea of Troubles. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's in the little box there at the at the title page. Hmm. I did not Anyways. know that. And so all of that is from a poem, I guess. Maybe, because the next issue was called By a Sleep to Say We End. Well, I know, but all of this is, all of these are lines, I think, from a poem or some form of literature. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So Why don't you look, look it up while I'm uh, synopsized? I will do that. <laughs> all right. So issue number two came out March of 2000, entitled, By a Sleep to Say We End. The writer, artist, letterer, colorist, and everything else is the same as the first issue. The cover shows Worf in profile looking slightly up to the top right-hand corner of the book. So the story starts with a news footage recap of the beginning of the inauguration of Governor Rush. She, he takes the stage, and Worf in the audience is realizing that he did not check the surrounding buildings for snipers. He thinks he sees a glint of metal on a tree or something, and after a second of hesitation, he leaps into action and shooting at the nearby building, interrupting her speech. Soon, all Starfleet crew are shooting at the direction that Worf was aiming at, and the sniper only has time to get one shot off before he's hit by one of the random myriad of shots. 
Rosh refuses to reschedule her speech and gives it claiming that she will serve her people as long as she's in office. Later, Worf is interviewing the sniper while the police chief is interviewing the people who tried to sneak in with the guns. The sniper refuses to give up his leaders. Even with the threat of multiple trials with the Klingons, the Federation, and the local government. The armed spectators all state that they forgot that they had guns. They were at the shooting range that morning and just decided to go see the speech. In the layer of the extremists, the leader, Jatran, tells the people of the setback. And that they will now use a weapon called the Chova which is an ancient device that causes telepaths to spread bad dreams and hallucinations to everyone that they are near. These visions will eventually cause everyone to go mad and die. The plan is to infect a Vulcan security officer, who will then infect the rest of the crew of the Enterprise. The next day, the plan is successfully executed. The infected Klingon has her memories wiped so that she does not remember being attacked. The next day, Worf and this Vulcan are sparring on the ship. It is stated that they are having a staring contest for two hours before the Vulcan broke contact and attacked Worf, who was able to easily throw her. Once this is done, Worf tells the crew that they cannot go to 10 forward because they have double shifts on the planet. Since Vulcans are touched telepaths and she touched Worf during the match, we must assume that the Klingon is now infected. Later in 10 Forward, Geordi and Data talk about Data's dream in issue number one. Neither of them talk about the incredible coincidence that Data had a strange dream mere days before the Enterprise arrived at the planet and became infected with the dream weapon. Perhaps this will be made clear in later issues. We'll see. That night, Worf is the one to have a horrible dream. He dreams of a time when he accidentally killed a human boy while playing soccer. This is when he learned that humans are very fragile. The next morning, Worf is giving a staff briefing to the security guards when he is visited by the ghost of Marla Astor. Astor, as we know, was a crew member that died under Worf's watch. Then, in that episode, her ghost started to visit her son, and Worf vowed to be a surrogate parent to the boy, who he then shipped off to who knows where because we never see him again. Is this hallucination due to the weapon, or is Aster's ghost back for more? Being a professional, Worf is able to keep his act together long enough to dismiss the crew. He then goes to visit Troy, who they may or may not still be dating at this time. It's very unclear. She tells him to get a sedative to stop the dreams, and with a good night's sleep, then all the hallucinations should stop as well. That night, Worf is escorting the governor to a dinner. One of the alien security guards assigned with him is none other than one of Jatran's followers. The guard is thinking that he never dreamed he would be this close to the governor, and he thinks about killing her, but he knows that he could not do it fast enough before Worf would stop him. While walking to the dinner, Worf has a flashback of the ganister falling on him and crushing his spine. As he falls to the floor, the guard sees his chance, and he turns on the governor. He's about to kill her with a phaser, to her neck. To be continued. Aha! We see the plan continuing. And by the way, I did look it up during the break. And of course, 
silly me, I should remember that these are all based on quotes from Shakespeare. Right. I, Specifically Hamlet. Makes sense. To sleep, perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. So anyway. So it's Shakespeare. They do like to quote Shakespeare in various Star Trek stories. Of course. So there you classics. go. Classics. The classics. Exactly. Okay, so the first page is a waste. Uh, the news coverage? Yeah. So it's a total <laughs> recap of the previous issue. Right. So it's like, okay, you want to waste a page? Yeah, fine. And not only waste a page, but man, that's a lot of talking. It is a lot of talking. Yes. And I read slow, so that, that page took me forever. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, it's so boring. Yeah, the word balloons are very dense. It reminded me a lot of the Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, because oh. there's a lot of news footage during those issues, oh. and they're told in the same way, with just the newscaster and just bubbles everywhere, yeah. and you know the graphic behind them changes every once in a while, as a news footage would. Oh. But okay. Or, or Robocop. Right. There's a little but, bit of that in Robocop, too. Well, in the comic book? No, the movie. R- right. Yeah. Yeah. I think they had that kind of thing in uh, even um, Starship Troopers, too. Which would make sense since Paul Verhoeven directed both of those. Exactly. He does like to do that. But anyways, since this is a comic book and Dark Knight Returns was a comic book, that's, that's what I was getting at. Oh, okay. But they were very similar. Okay. Just needed to recap in case someone missed issue number one, I guess. Exactly. Which, in general, I, yeah, just don't waste too much of my time with that. Or the book... <laughs> and one page is more than enough. I mean, come on. People aren't going to read the previous one. I mean, you're going to go back and get the previous one. If you're interested in the story. But So, uh, to the story itself, though. What did you think about Worf eyeballing that side of the building and thinking that maybe he thinks there's a sniper over there? In any of the visuals, did you see what he's seeing? No, not at okay. all. I see leaves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, so is the idea that the rustling in the tree that's over the wall was caused by somebody in the tree? I don't know. Well, how does he know there's even a tree? Because he's just looking well, at the wall. And I'm assuming that well, there's, the, a, there's, snipers... the outline, there's an outline of the tree behind the wall. I mean, above and behind the wall. Oh, okay, that, that just green blob behind there is supposed to be the tree the green blob in front of the in front of the sun or the moon i guess it's the sun well actually it could be the moon there's two there are several of them right anyway so i'm pretty sure that's a tree line even though it's very it's not that easy to tell it's not detailed and so because it's not detailed i assumed it was further back but i guess it could be right up to the wall and and they just didn't bother with any detail i think that's what it is Mm, okay. Well, and then he's like saying he sees a glint of metal and all this stuff, and I'm like, what are you seeing? I see nothing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, he's got Klingon eyes, which are sharper, and of course, than humans. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't like that part. Yeah. It and was then, confusing. Right. And then, of course... The two-page spread of, like, almost every character, male character, of course. Well, I, I guess the Vulcan in the back yeah. wasn't, wasn't male. But, you know, everybody's there firing. 
you know, Picard and Worf and Data and people you don't know and yeah. Yeah. Very the- muy, muy macho. And still more leaves. <laughs> and they're shooting at a, at a spot they don't even know where they're shooting. Just, oh, Worf shot this direction. Let's, well, I guess, let's, I guess let's do the same thing. The sniper was shooting at that point, so um, I yeah. guess they could just follow the trail. Yeah, yeah, right. So I did like how once the phasers stopped, you know, Worf calmed in and said, you know, lock onto the signal of the, somebody in that tree and beam them over here. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> well, why didn't he just do that to begin with? Before he even took a shot, uh, before uh, before actually shooting, right. well, because he wouldn't have had enough time to call for the ship, and then have the ship initiate the transport, and there wasn't enough time. It was time for wharf reflexes and firing. You know that's not the reason. They actually give you the weakest reason ever. The what? That supposedly this very open arena thing has such great acoustics that if he says anything, then everybody in the audience will hear it and then become stressed. Yeah. He actually says that. I can't say anything because everybody in here will hear me and cause a panic. Uh-huh. That, that's BS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, you, well, you'd probably want people to be a little agitated if you knew there was going to be a, a shot. Right. Maybe you would want them to start moving out of the exactly, way. Exactly, exactly. But what if he was wrong? What if he was wrong? It'd be embarrassing. I'm Mr. Joe Security Guy, and I got it wrong. Well, this is a huge embarrassment on him no matter what. How do you miss a sniper vantage point either on the wall or right outside the wall? What do you mean? If you're Worf? Yes. He's got a hand phaser, and he's, he's... trying to shoot at something very far away. He said, I never even thought to check for a sniper. That's, that's yeah, bad. Well, I'll tell you that. That was BS. It's like, what do you mean you didn't think to check for a sniper? Isn't that like one of the number one ways to kill people? No, I mean, the number one on. way is a bomb underneath the podium. Or they, just, or they just run up to you and shoot you. <laughs> like Lee Harvey Oswald. Boom. Anyway, the main point is, there's trees around the outside. <laughs> Snipers are a perfectly reasonable way to kill people, and especially in an open stadium like that, uh, with the person not within any kind of protection around her. And by the way, why don't they have a force field? I mean, come on. They do amazing things at this point in time with force fields. You could have a force field around her that was totally invisible, but whatever. Very good point. There you go. That's what I think. I didn't realize that Worf killed a kid. Mikkel, I guess, was his name. So I guess that was real, huh? Yeah, I think it's uh, mentioned in either Next Generation or Deep Space Nine. I think it's mentioned somewhere. Oh, wow. Hmm. That uh, when he was growing up, he uh, killed a kid or hurt a kid or something like that. Hurting is one thing, but actually killing somebody? Wow. Oof. Well, they got hard heads. Yeah, I mean, but... But that's a good example. I mean, Klingons are super strong. You're growing up as a kid among humans. You're trying to fit in. You're playing the game. Oops. You know, I can see that happening. It's just, ooh, that's a little uncomfortable. Anyway. Right. Now he has to live with that guilt for the rest of his life. Exactly. Which is part of what makes Worf Worf. Right. Sure. We get it. So what do you think about how they told the story of the interrogations? So one half of the 
page was the police chief's interrogation of the guys who tried to sneak in the guns, and the other half of the page was Worf's interrogation of the sniper. I found it kind of confusing to jump back and forth because they didn't really fit into each other. So I, I ended up reading, you know, vertically all of police chief's panels, and then I read all the Worf's panels kind of right. Did you have any problems switching back and forth panel to panel? Um, not that much, but yeah, it was a little confusing. I agree. And because both the sniper and the guy being interrogated for the bringing in the weapons looked exactly the same, I really had a hard time when it was just a close-up of that guy or one of those two guys talking. Right. I was like, okay, is this the sniper guy or is this the... The uh, the smuggling guy. Right. It was confusing. I I was a little confused, too, but I went with it. All right, so uh, I think I hit on to your comment about Data's dream in my synopsis just because it was bothering me so much. That mm. Why is he having a dream before they get to the dream machine, dream <laughs> weapon? Exactly. I mean, they haven't been infected yet, right? They're coming to the planet, but they're not there yet. Worf hasn't been infected yet, and by the way, he's a robot anyway. So would that weapon affect a robot? I don't know. The whole thing's a little bit confusing. Right, yeah. So so the whole thing with Data dreaming in the beginning is like, that's fine and stuff, but it makes no sense to the dreams that come later. Right, just a huge coincidence. Yes, yes. I don't think they did it in this issue, but I think it's the next one. Deanna actually, well, I guess we can talk about it the next one. Right. So here's my theory. You know, this is the theory I had when I got to this part. You know, we know that there is this dream disease or whatever it is. And I was thinking, well, somehow because he's a machine that he gets infected in the past or the future. And Ah! now he was able to, this is like him sending a signal to himself in the past that. Which, again, would be too much like that episode of Next Generation with the dreams and that his dream was the key to solving the problem. You know, his subconscious was trying to process this, uh, this dream that well, was the solution to the problem of the episode. Well, okay, but it didn't happen retroactively. I mean, did it? No. Uh, no, but I'm just saying it's possible. I okay, mean, so it, in, I mean, your, in your intense desire to explain <laughs> the unexplainable... Good shot. Good. Well, try. they've done it before in the uh, in the episode where the Enterprise kept blowing up. Again, well, it was day. So we're in a time conscious. loop. Yeah, it was it? So we're in a time loop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all moot because they're still in the Nexus anyway. So it's <laughs> all, all this. <laughs> Everything from generations on is all in the Nexus. Exactly. Yeah. Well. That's another big, huge. Well, let's don't get me started about what's a huge uh, suspended disbelief uh, idea the Nexus is. But <laughs> yeah, I I think Data's dream was a great grabber, but makes no sense to the rest of the book. Yeah, I'm hoping that is somehow issue four will. Well, okay. Wrap it all up. Okay, that's a good point. We I have not read issue four yet. Me either. I. Yeah. Okay. Well, in seven days, you'll find out, as we will tell everybody. All right. In seven days. In seven days. There's our own little grabber. 
Okay, so I think the profile drawing of Worf on the cover is really cool. Of this really? Issue. I do. I like that. I think it's a really good drawing. And there's a lot of detail. And and the way his you know chin is out there, and then the, the way the, the hair is drawn, and the, the big old nose and stuff, and then the turtle skull. I think it's great. It's turtle forehead. I think right. it looks great. I think it's a great picture, but I don't know about a cover. I mean, nothing on that cover would, like, oh, I got to read this book because it has Worf in profile. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, just, it's not a grabber for me. Okay. Uh, I, uh, but, like, the third issue, I think, has a great cover. <sighs> really? Okay, well, let, when we get to the third issue, let's talk about that. And I thought the first one had a good cover. Because yeah. I have problems with the third issue. the third issue's cover. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll talk about that momentarily. All right. What else? Uh, let's see. This issue is actually the one where I'm commenting, or my notes, about the police chief's breasts. But we already discussed that, so I will not repeat myself. They are distracting in those. Maybe that was another reason why I was distracted during the interrogation scene. <laughs> was the police chief's breasts? Uh, yeah. Man, he, he looks like Power Girl there. Oh, Power Girl. Okay. Oh, Power Girl was really attractive. Mm. Well, she was muscular and she had giant uh, breasts. But she doesn't have a bearded face. Golden bozos. There you go. Okay. I think that's 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 kind of uh, insulting there, kid. What? What'd you call them? <laughs> Golden bozos? Yeah, I don't think I don't think people like that. <laughs> oh, it's all part of a Steve Martin routine. That's where I get all uh, my stuff. Oh, that's where you get all your shtick. That's where I get all my shtick. Yeah. My last comment, it just seemed to me that some of the events in this one was just a rehash of the first issue with a lot more words thrown in. So more of Worf trying to prevent things and another assassination attempt and I don't know. This issue definitely is where I'm beginning to think or get the feeling this is being drawn out a bit much. Right. They're spending an awful lot of time on this planet. Anyway, that's the beginning rumblings of my thoughts in that direction. Right. Now, one of the things, and it's going to be a weird nitpick coming from me, is that I know that uh, Keith R.A. Del Candio, he knows Star Trek. He's written tons of expanded universe novels, comics, you know, even a reference book. I mean, this this guy knows Star Trek. Cool. I didn't know that. But I think you – know, and I love that when you throw in little Easter eggs and references to stuff. But but I think maybe he might go a little overboard on some of this, like bringing in Aster and the, and the soccer playing and all these just random events that – and the dream thing. I, I'm still throwing in the dream being a rehash of, of those episodes where – Data was having dreams. Right. Uh, just because I don't know what significance they play yet. And, and until I know otherwise, I'm just going to assume that it's somehow going to be the key to fixing this, uh, this disease. But I, I don't know. It just, I think maybe he goes a little too far with cross-referencing random in episodes. Yeah. Well. Uh, and, yeah, go ahead. I mean, if it's adding to the story, fine. But you're right. He does do it an awful lot. It, right. But then he also – he's picking stuff that could also be interpreted completely different way. Like he sees the ghost of Aster. Aster was a ghost in that episode. So, I mean, could it be the aliens that were projecting that ghost 
back there in that episode, or is this supposed to be? Uh, I mean, obviously, it is the hallucination of uh, the disease, but there's also the reference that you know she really could be an alien manifestation of Aster herself because that has already happened. Right. I like it, and then but I think they may have just gone a little too far, or or picked ones that were already too similar to what you're trying to do. Right. Well, it definitely. I guess it's a fine line to walk because the whole point is this is like waking dreams and stuff and it's pulling things back from your history and using them against you. So you expect that's going to happen. You I mean the idea that Worf has the, the container or at least he thinks the container is coming down on him again to crush his back. That would be distracting for me if I was Worf. So it, it makes sense what they're doing. But yes, I, I do agree. You can go overboard with it. Yeah, now the container and the soccer thing, that didn't bother me. It was just yeah. the Astro one that really, and the dream thing. Yeah. If the dream is the key, uh, is the two things that are really bothering me. Yeah. And I don't like not knowing if Troy and Worf are together. Oh! <laughs> yeah! Right. Because we know they break up at some point between all good things and generations, but when and why, and how does this issue fall into that? And I don't think, at least so far in any of these issues, do they really say one way or the other. Well, she refers to herself as his something. Uh, in what issue? In, as I thought it was this issue. Oh. I don't remember maybe, that. Maybe it's next issue. Well, when they're oh, talking... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's this issue. She says, I'm not only the ship's counselor, but I'm your parmiaki, or whatever, however you say it. So what is that word, and does that mean that the, is that like the Klingon equivalent of Imzadi? I don't know. Yeah, even though as both ship's counselor and as your P word, I have every reason to do so. Huh. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, okay, so, okay, so other than that, though, they're very professional. Sure. You know, I mean, Deanna does touch his shoulder towards the end, but that could be, and they do who, hold hands at the end. But whose that's... shoulder does she not touch? Ah! She's... <laughs> she's a very touchy woman. Yeah. Okay. I, I yeah. I yeah. Very ambiguous. But I, I I think definitely using her using that word, which by the way I did not remember. I guess they must be together. I don't know. She still calls Riker her Imzadi, even when they're not dating. So maybe she just you know once she once she gets a title, she never lets it go. No, I, I think she does not let her boyfriends go. Period. I think there's a little. I think there's a little something to worry about back there. I think. <laughs> All right. Anything else on this issue? Nada. I just want to point out. I love the advertisements in this issue. We have Resident Evil Three, Dino Crisis, and then we have tons of uh, great DC comic. Yeah. Uh, Batgirl, yeah, you know, that restarted. And- I like that Batgirl drawing. She looks a little like uh, like Spider Man in that that pose a little bit, and she's kind of lanky, but she looks really cool. Right. Yeah. Now keep in mind Batgirl because I think they borrow a little bit from the Batgirl uh, this Batgirl storyline in yeah. the next issue. I don't want to give it away, but in this Batgirl, she is uh, mute. She doesn't speak, and she is like a master of reading body language. So in the issues, it would just show her standing on a rooftop and it would just show people walking around on the street, Mm -hmm. but it would have like little word balloon or little balloons around that person kind of explaining 
what she's reading off of their uh, body language and things like that, hmm. which uh, we may see reused here in, in the next issue with a Star Trek character. Interesting. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Uh, that was my last comment. Okay. So, issue number three, and let me go and find the title, because I've got just chapter three, and apparently there's more of a title. And so, apparently the title on this one, or subtitle, uh, chapter three, In the Sleep of Death, What Dreams May Come. Okay. <laughs> there you go. There's the subtitle. Creative team, Keith R.A. DeCandido, writer, penciler, Peter Pachormis. Inks, Lucian Rizzo, Colors, Wildstorm FX, Letterer, Ryan Klein, Editor, Jeff Marriott. The cover prominently features Counselor Troy's head and torso in front of what looks like a circular stargate with a black and orange color scheme. At the bottom are headshots of Governor-elect Rash, Worf, and Troy. Deanna is in her office aboard the Enterprise, making a log entry concerning Data, Worf, and Vulcan Security Officer Timor. Recently, they have all had vivid and disturbing dreams unsettling enough to warrant them seeking her counsel. If these dreams were isolated to one person, they could be put down to strong dreams that do happen to people from time to time. But all three? They have all started happening since they arrived at Demano, and, indeed, all three of them have been down on the surface multiple times. Is that the common denominator that triggered these super dreams, or something else? She completes her entry as Will Riker arrives at her door, asking if she is ready to go. She is, and they leave for the transporter room. Will says Worf is already down on the planet, making security preparations for the dinner. Scene cuts to a building corridor on the planet. Worf is leading a detail staffed with a cadre of Diamani police officers escorting Governor Rash Bihuli to the inauguration dinner. Love that name. One of a line of cargo canisters stored high on the wall falls and strikes Worf on his back, as it did two years ago. He is on the ground and cannot get up. Then, as now, the pain incapacitates him. But this cannot be happening again. What are the odds? He thinks this can't be real. He sees Officer Gowen raise his weapon to the governor and says, Die, pervert! Through the pain, he has a duty to perform, and somehow is able to raise his own phaser and shoot Gowen before he can carry out his deadly task. Duray orders his subordinates to take the unconscious traitor to a holding cell, not for medical attention. They try to help Worf up, but Worf is a warrior and an intelligent one at that. He realizes the container could not be real. He fights through the pain. He rises to his feet on his own through sheer force of will. Once on his feet, the pain disappears. What? Somehow he has been compromised. He almost let the governor get killed. Worf calls his assistant security chief, Mr. McDonald, to the planet to take over for him. He apologizes to the governor and takes himself off active duty. The governor does not want to accept this, but in the end she does. Worf dreams of Kalar's death by the blade of the coward Duras. He fights and kills Duras again and again, but he can't save Kalar. He fails her again and again. Worf wakes up in his PJs on the Enterprise. 
He rises from his bed and moves through the ship's corridors, while waking dreams plague him every step of the way. He took a sedative that should have suppressed all dreaming. At least that's what Nurse Angawa said. Worf enters sickbay and shouts, Help me! and collapses into Dr. Crusher's arms. Troy starts to have vivid and disturbing dreams, too. While on the planet doing standard security scans, one of Worf's security people named Horowitz tells one of the Diamani officers Worf relieved himself from duty due to disturbing dreams. The policeman says, Dreams? Are you sure? At that moment, Horowitz notices something wrong with the house systems and signals Murphy, who is in the governor's quarters. Between the two of them, they save the governor from a booby-trapped shower that would have disintegrated the governor. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, more crew members are experiencing the disturbing dreams. Some of them are waking dreams. Deanna is under heavy sedation, and even Riker is falling under its effects. Captain Picard enters Dr. Crusher's office, asking what is happening to his crew. She explains that she can detect nothing physically wrong other than sleep deprivation. Sedation does not stop the dreams. She says she can induce a coma, but that can only last so long without risking brain damage. She says most people that came down with it were on the planet at one point, but not everyone. Dr. Crusher has no answer so far. As if on cue, Data signals the captain, saying Governor Rosh wants to meet him in her office. She has information about what is affecting the crew. Picard and Dr. Crusher beam down to her office, where the governor and her security chief discuss the situation. They say the crew's dreams are likely attacks by an ancient weapon called the Chova. It is a telepathic weapon used during Paji Duel's Reign of Terror. Genetically manipulated telepaths would be given the chova that would insert into their victim's mind. Once infected, they would begin to have nightmares and then hallucinations. Eventually, they would go mad. The governor adds that what they now know of the weapon is based on legend, so they do not know of a cure. She is amazed that someone has apparently been able to reproduce it. Police Chief Durr says that Jatran and his moralist morons are likely the perpetrators, but admits they have no direct evidence of that. With each attack, they have eventually found the perpetrators, but none of them have given up their leader. The governor says she takes some hope that Jatran will run out of his followers at some point. Jatran has had little popular support. His shows air tonight for the first time since the inauguration. Jatran's show starts out with artificial concern for the governor's safety and accolades for the great job the police and the Federation security personnel are doing to protect her. After the carrot is given, the stick quickly follows. He follows a flawed logical thread that contends the governor is unfit to rule and represent them to the Federation, precisely due to the many assassination attempts. He urges his viewers to support his contention and make their desire for the governor to step down and for elections to start as soon as possible. Later, in an Enterprise meeting room, Chief Durr and Data are trying to figure out how the Chova was brought to the Enterprise. Data says Counselor Troy and Ensign Moore are the two telepaths in the Enterprise crew that were on the planet and are afflicted by the Chova. 
They theorized that Chova was spread somehow to others by afflicted telepaths like Troy and Timor. The chief goes to sickbay to talk to Troy, but has to settle for Timor since Troy is incoherent when she is brought to consciousness. Eventually, Timor recalls the odd lapse into unconsciousness when she was on patrol with Officer Gowen. Through her mysterious Vulcan mental abilities, she is able to surface memories of a person who put a device on her head, a man that matches the description of Jatran. Later, Chief Durr is briefing Captain Picard on the breakthrough. There is no better witness than a Vulcan to bring down Jatran. Picard is happy for the breakthrough, but points out this does not bring them any closer to a cure. On cue, the bridge cuts in, saying that records about the Chova have been located. Data volunteers to use his knowledge of the Ilion language to translate the records. Later, after careful analysis of the records, Dr. Crusher and Data meet with Picard to brief him on a potential cure with a potentially deadly catch. Crusher explains that people afflicted with MPD, or multiple personality disorder, should have the ability to overwhelm the chova that is designed to only deal with the much more common single personality state of most known intelligent life. She cuts to the chase and says Picard is the only one on board ship with the makings of MPD, and with the aid of a mind meld with Dr. Salar, that potentially will be brought to the forefront. Picard's experience as Locutus of Borg, his living an entire life as Cayman of Catan, and his intense mind meld with Ambassador Sarek all make Picard an ideal candidate. Picard recalls the pain of being Locutus, having his free will ripped from him, the unspeakable acts he carried out as Locutus against the Federation, his friends, the human race, He thinks of all the members of his crew afflicted by the Chova. He simply asks Crusher, What do I need to do? To be continued. I kind of like this turn. Yes. At least Picard is in the mix now. Right. Yeah, he's just kind of been a passenger for most of this, right? Uh, Yeah, or not even in the story. I mean, he kind of kicked things off at the beginning, and then things went along pretty much as the Wharf show. And now he's back in the thick of things. It's all down to the captain. Right. So he'll get the mind meld with the Vulcan woman and fix it. Right. I will say, though, the fact that Picard is the key to the cure is a little forced to me. However, if they're saying that MPD is the key to this, which I think is a bit forced in itself, I guess Picard is the the proper candidate. Right, and they've already hinted that Data has been taken over by multiple people before, too, right? So when he was talking about the few times he's had emotions, he right. mentioned that you know his body's been taken over twice, right. Q, Q gave him emotions, and, and Lore has given him artificial emotions, which those last two aren't necessarily taking over his body, but definitely or the first two. Multiple personalities, but yes. Right. Yep. So I'm still thinking Data will somehow fall into the mix because he also has he also is an MDP sufferer right but again it's not a biological mind which I just have the feeling I don't know for sure but I have the feeling that that's what the Chova works on but but somehow Data had the dreams or had the initial dream anyway before the Chova was even in the picture so I don't know 
The whole thing seems like a red herring. Right. But I guess we'll find out in the fourth issue again. Right. It was a weird thing for me to complain about last issue, all the cross-references, but here I do like it. The Sarek and the Inner Light and the Lucutus references. Right. Definitely Lucutus is the best example. But then, when he lived that other person's life, that's a really good example, too. i got to admit both of those. I'm not so sure about the mind melds, though. But Well, he, remember, he lived through... He he, uh, he hosted uh, Sarek. Right, because yeah. Sarek was suffering from that disease that was making him all emotional. Right. Yeah, I... Yep. But he still seemed like a separate person. Well, he was a separate person that was in in Picard's mind. It wasn't a manifestation. It was not a manifestation of Picard. Um, whatever. Right. Um, I think Locutus is the best example, though. Sure. Agreed. And the inner light. I mean, the inner light was, also, I guess, just kind of like a recording that he just projected his facial features onto somebody that wasn't Picard. Right. But he did live that person's life, so... Some of the things that Catan person did, um, you know, obviously was Picard thinking. I mean, Picard was trying to use his scientific knowledge from him being Picard to try to find a solution for the uh, drought. But. Right. Oh, well, whatever. So when Dury orders that Goen goes to the holding cell rather than the hospital, uh, I thought that was a little odd. I mean, was that just 100% like payback? I mean, just revenge? Or was there something else going on here? Uh, I don't know. I didn't think of any other motive other than just wanted to get them in there. Yeah, so revenge or something. Right. right. Yeah, and Dury does seem to be a very emotional person. I mean, the way his face is drawn in a lot of panels is like, that guy shows a lot of emotion. So... I guess they that's all, all these aliens do. They're all they're very emotional in the face. Well, and some in particular, the bad guy, which is Tran, he's really emotional in face at times, and so's Dury. Have we seen the governor being overly emotional? Uh, maybe during some of the attacks. Maybe. Oh yeah. So at the beginning of this issue, where the face-to-face assassination attempt fails and Worf is shooting, uh, right. going, uh, I guess the the governor has a really weird look on her face. It's like one eye is closed, and her mouth is open, and the other eye is wide open. It just has a funky look on her face. Right, so and, and, right. and he, the, the, assassina- the assassinator, the, the assassinator, assassin, <laughs> the assassin, he has the same face, but in reverse. He has the other eye closed and right. the other eye open. Good and point, good point. I was like, why are they all making... And then there's a the guy in but, the background kind of making the same face. Oh, yeah, you're foot. right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, they all kind of look alike, don't they, Ken? Oh, good point. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, Gowen is being shot, so you sure. kind of understand why he would have a, a contorted face. But the other ones? Good point. Yes, a very emotional people, the Diamani. All right, so on that picture of the the security guides getting shot, right? Uh, there's a depiction of two two-horned people. One follows the breast, and the other one doesn't so i'm <laughs> i'm still trying to figure out which gender the horns which. yeah if, if the horns did fall into it well there i do agree that there's a single horn guy and there's a double horn guy and they both have big masculine chests although the guy with the single horn does seem to have slightly larger breasts <laughs> i don't know it's a mystery 
It's a mystery to me. Okay. Anyways, um, so in regards to Batgirl. Ah, Batgirl, okay. Remember how I told you that when she, when she looks at people, she sees the little balloons around them right. that says, you know, angry, uh, happy, you know, things like that. Where in here, during Troy's little episode, the same thing was happening. It showed Troy, and then around her were little, were little uh, word balloons that said, greed, pride, love. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. Which, yeah. which is, you know, kind of the reverse of what, what happens with... Uh, with Cassandra Kane, who's that that Batgirl. When she would see people, she would see those around them, not necessarily around herself. So I just thought that was that was kind of interesting. Yeah, but the thing is about those balloons, just another thing, they're always the same ones. Did you did you notice on that? I think it's what is it, on a page? Right. A single page? Yep. They're always the same emotions with the same colored balloons in the same order. Right. And, no, until and, until the scene where she loses her powers, and then they're kind of jumbled up, or at least the words aren't completed. Right, but my point is, I thought like she was interacting with different people, but you yeah, know, I it, thought, it, I, in all those different panels. So, would all these different people that she's reading would they'd all have the exact same emotions, like in the exact same order? I mean, it seemed a little odd. Yeah, I just kind of took it that. That those are the those are the emotions she always feels from everybody in in various well, degrees. Well, okay, I oh, okay. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't yeah, know. that's that's part of my point. I mean, really. So Picard, Picard has greed going and lust going and joy going, and and then uh, this girl she's speaking to, and then this Vulcan guy, or is he Vulcan? Uh, oh, you know, so. On the away mission, there's a guy she's dealing with, and right. and you can't really see his ears completely, but he kind of has Vulcanish eyebrows, and he's got dark hair, and maybe he's got pointed ears, but you can't see quite all of his ears. But he's got the same emotions. I don't know. It just seemed odd. And then who the heck is Deanna reading on the last one on the bridge, where it's starting to go away? Is she reading data? It's hard to tell. I just thought it was that episode where she lost her powers and she thought she was, you know, she felt like she was blind. Right. Okay. I, I thought that was just a reference to that that episode. Okay, but there's three people in that panel with her, so I was just wondering who she was reading. Yeah, I have no idea. And it looks like she's turned towards Data, who is speaking, but anyway. I just wondered. It seemed odd. Yeah, but odd. he's talking about them communicating with the two-dimensional beings and, right. and she couldn't read them, so... I, th- I thought that that's what they were getting. Oh, at. she was reading the aliens. She's trying to read the aliens, ah. and she could not get a read on them. Uh, uh. That's why the words were not completed. Uh, uh, okay, okay. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of at least mix them up a little bit. Right. I mean, greed with Picard. Come on. So this has the shower scene that we alluded to in issue one, which proves that the things on their heads is a headdress and not part of their faces. Oh, is that what it is? So the horns are no. Okay, the well, yeah, horns right. are, but the, the horns are, but the rest of it. Yeah, the rest right. of it is not. Good point, because she is naked. Indeed, I like how she says, uh, "Do you mind if I get a towel?" Yeah, please go ahead. And she definitely does look female, from what you can see of her. But you do notice that when she puts the towel on, she only covers the uh, bottom. Portion. The bottom part. Uh, good point. Mm-hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. Huh? Maybe they're not. They're either not so modest as we are, or... 
I don't she's know. got she's got pecs and not breasts to cover. Yeah, I don't get. Anyways, yeah. So Bolians, do they have hair or not? Oh, well, I thought they. Well, I think they can because obviously there's the panel there, right? Right. With the Bolian so, female sleeping with the dream, and it's right. a, uh, and I guess it's a male. Uh, who well, I think the fe- it's the female. Yeah, the female is the one having the dream. Right. Exactly. And she's got hair, female. Right. But she's dreaming of what appears to be a guy. But maybe I think that just because he's bald. But <laughs> I always thought Bolians were always bald. But uh, but maybe the females have hair. I don't yeah. know. Well, here's another. In the last time this came up, didn't the Bolian female have hair? I, I think I it was just a, right? it was just a blue person that we thought maybe she was Bolian, but we didn't know for sure. I don't know if she had that line that went down her nose. Oh, okay. Well, if that other person was, then this seems to be another example that says females can have hair. Right. Yeah. Okay. I got to say, we've covered everything. My notes here, we've covered already. Because this is the one where I bring... It's the notes from here that I really say... Hey, Data had a dream when they were still an hour away from the planet. Right. And then also just saying, except for the little headdress thing that they put on the Vulcan security officer, the Chova doesn't seem to take a physical form. No. So the whole Chova thing was confusing me, and how it could uh, retroactively affect Data was confusing me. So we pretty much talked about that already. Right. So the cover, I liked it. It looks like oh. a, a cover for a novel or something like yeah, that. Yeah, let's let's talk about the cover. Movie poster. It does, except there are just some aspects about it. Like number one, Deanna doesn't do that much in this episode. I mean, she's she's in a page or two, but she doesn't do much. She's unconscious for most of the time. Right. Uh, so I I really having her the featured cast member on the cover, and then actually having her in there twice, I thought was like inappropriate. I mean, it look. And by the way, doesn't her? For me, I think her mouth looks kind of weird. On the 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 bigger one. The, the, yeah, oh. the the big one where she's in front of the Stargate. Um, yeah. uh, Stargate. Her, her mouth is kind of weird looking. Right. Yes. It it's not quite right. No. I mean, it's a nice yeah. drawing and stuff, but her eyes look a little off, and her mouth definitely looks off. Right. And the governor doesn't match the depiction later in the book either. Oh, inside. Right. It, so that's a, a different. So it's a different artist that did the cover, right? Yeah, they did I think the so. inside probably. Right. Uh, yeah, I can't read. They do have the names there. Tim Bradstreet. Oh yeah, Tim Bradstreet. Tim Bradstreet he's, did it. He's pretty famous. Yeah. Uh, actually, I like the picture of Deanna better in the lower right hand corner than than the bigger one in the middle. Yeah. No, I, I like them all. I, th- I think I, I like this this cover better than the last one. Oh, okay. Well, that just goes to prove how. Different opinions. Sure. That's that's why they made different covers. If if this go. was the best one for everybody, they would all look exactly like this. Right. So <laughs> Well, I do like the Stargate, so uh so what is that supposed to be behind her head? I mean, is that supposed to be the Chova somehow? I think it's a halo because she's a saint. Well Okay. No, I have no idea. It just looks cool. It looks like a leopard skin Stargate with fiery stuff in the middle. So the Stargate's usually like blue in the middle or, or silvery kind of thing when the, when the cloudy stuff comes out when it's initializing. But this looks more like fire. And then, like I say, leopard skin, outer circle, for those of you that don't have the comic. 
<laughs> anyway. All right. That's my last comment. I'm, I'm fine, too. All right, cool. So next episode, we will finish off Perchance to Dream, and we will start up Star Trek Deep Space Nine Invector, issues one and two. Hmm. Invector. Sounds interesting. Invector. I've been waiting to read this forever because this is actually uh, post season seven. So ah. it's Cisco's gone. You know, their Bajor's about to join the Federation. So I- I'm really looking forward to how the- this comic book depicts that. And this comic book is supposed to be set in the same universe as the uh, post Deep Space Nine novels. So this is when they were really trying to get the, the comic universes and the novel universes coherent so uh and i've read some of those novels so i'm looking forward to reading the comics cool that sounds good all right well uh, anything else kid nada oh did you uh want to talk about star trek 3 at all or oh okay just briefly because we're running kind of long but yeah so this is of course all old news for everybody out there but just earlier this week we just heard about the fact that simon Pegg and what was the name of the uh, second person involved in, in authoring the uh, Star Trek 3? Oh, I forgot. forgot his name. I forgot his name, too. But he apparently has had a lot of success in TV with the TV series Big Love and another more recent one. I don't remember what the second one is. Yeah, we're, we're a wealth of information. <laughs> I, I know. I guess, I guess but, but the main point is, Orsi appears to be out of the picture, at least from the writing standpoint. I mean, maybe he'll still be a consultant to the effort. I don't know. But... Totally new writing staff. And I assume they'll take the existing Orsi script and see what they can use from it. But hmm. they got Simon Pegg, who I think is a great Star Trek fan. We know that. Sci-fi fan in general. Comic book fan. Has had mixed success, in my opinion, as a film writer. Shaun of the Dead, great work. Love that movie. But quite frankly, what, Hot Fuzz and even End of the World? Eh, you know, was it Cornetto Trilogy or something? I think that those were those were mixed success. And then the other guy doesn't sound like he has any science fiction or Star Trek cred experience. But maybe I'm different, but maybe that's what they want. They want somebody right. who's a great writer who can bring that into this script. I don't know. It just seems like a mess personally. But Right. So knowing that Simon Pegg, yes, he's a big sci-fi fan but he's also a comedian so he always takes the sci-fi things and puts his comedic spin on it and the fact that they released the thing saying that uh, paramount wants star trek to be more like guardians of the galaxy yeah so that those two news articles kind of combined really got me worried as far as the direction they're going to go because the last two were i mean that that last one they stuck in a lot of comedy which worked because you know star trek 4 Comedy in Star Trek can work. Right. But uh, you can also go too far. Right. Yep. So, hopefully, uh, um, our concerns are unfounded and it'll be great. But Well, you know, on the one hand, Star Trek II, I, I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was good, but I did have reservations. But I, I wasn't that worried about 3 having problems. I, I think 3 was going to be very good. But now... The 52-card pickup, rehashing, different director, different writing staff. Uh, I I guess that's good to address my concerns about uh, Into Darkness. But on the other hand, who knows what we're going to get out of this. So, best of luck, guys. 
entertain me. <laughs> That's a good good directive. <laughs> In the end, don't disappoint me. So. <laughs> All right. Okay, well with that we'll we'll close up and be back next week. Okay, sounds great. Thanks everybody for joining us on the review. Later. Later. <laughs> Later. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't be the last person to say it. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Later. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.